Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, January seventeenth episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen A. Rate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as on Twitter and Instagram under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We have recently enabled PayPal-based donations, where you can either donate via your PayPal account or use your preferred credit card to support our work. Over the past 25 months, we have brought to you a featured poet each week. So far, we have been able to feature over 100 poets from eight different countries on five continents, and we hope to continue this work with your support. And you can do that by going to poetsandmuses.com/donate. Again, you can donate at poetsandmuses.com/donate. Now with us today is Brandon Liu, with whom I will be discussing his poem "Passing Through" and my poem "Scant." Before we do that, however, I'm going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of January 18th. On Monday, January 18th, from 8:15 p.m. Amsterdam time, Labyrinth will be hosting their weekly open mic. You can find out more information by going to labyrinthamsterdam.nl/numbersignevents. Again, that's labyrinthamsterdam.nl/numbersignevents. You can also visit Labyrinth Amsterdam's Facebook page. At 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting Poets Playground. We play clean open mic via Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. From 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, the Los Angeles Poets Society will be hosting Los Angeles Poets for Justice, a document for the people book release party. You can find out more information. At lapoetsociety.org. Again, that's lapoetsociety.org. On Tuesday, January 19th, from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of 13 and 23. Again, it's a writing virtual workshop and open mic series facilitated by Royal Marsh, and you can find out more information and register at. UrbanWordNYC.org/first-draft. Again, that's UrbanWordNYC.org/first-draft. From 8 to 10:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Alexa Lash and Kiana Major will be hosting their creatively undistanced open mic. You can find out more information at Major Muse on Instagram. Again, that's Major Muse with. Muse spelled as M U Z E on Instagram. Again, that's M U Z E. From 9 p.m. Central Standard Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting their Poets Playground We Play Dirty open mic via Instagram Live at Poets underscore Playground underscore. Again, that's Poets underscore Playground underscore. On Wednesday, January 20th, from 6 p.m. Amsterdam time. Word Up Amsterdam will be hosting their Inspiration Factory Writing Workshop by Janice. You can find out more information and register at wordupamsterdam. 
weebly.com forward slash workshops html. Again, that's wordupamsterdam.weebly.com forward slash workshops html. From 8.30 p.m. Beirut time, Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting their online open mic. You can find out more information at Sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram or Sidewalk Beirut on Facebook. Again, that's either Sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram or Sidewalk Beirut on Facebook. At 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their poetry workshop with Beth Ruscio. You can find out more information at beyondbaroque.org, free underscore workshops.html. Again, that's beyondbaroque.org, forward slash free underscore workshops.html. On Thursday, January 21st, from 9 p.m. Paris time, Paris Lit Up will be hosting their open mic. And you can find out more information by going to parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. Again, that's parislitup.com forward slash open hyphen mic. From 6.30 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Hudson Valley Writer Center will be hosting the second of their six, Finding Your Poetic Voice with Amy Holman. You can find out more information at writercenter.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's writercenter.org forward slash calendar. From 6 to 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Beyond Baroque Literary Arts will be hosting their South Asian Writers Resist, featuring Tanzila Taz Ahmed, Nilanjana Banerjee, Torsa Gozal, Arshia Hag, Soraya Khan, Mahmoud Rahman, Shiri Reka Subramanian. This event will be hosted by Seba Sawar. You can find out more information by visiting beyondbaroque.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's beyondbaroque.org forward slash calendar. From 7.30 to 9 p.m. Arizona time, District 4 Poetry will be hosting their monthly poetry open mic. You can find out more information and register at facebook.com forward slash district for poetry. Again, that's facebook.com district for poetry with the number four. From 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poetry Center San Jose and Willow Glen Library will be hosting their third Thursday's open mic featuring Danusha Lamaris. You can find out more information at sjpl.bibliocommons.com forward slash events. Again, that's sjpl.bibliocommons.com forward slash events. On Friday, January 22nd, from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. British time, Poetry LGBT will be hosting their Speak Your Truth writing workshop and you can find out more information and register by messaging Andrina Leanne at survivor.andrina.leanne. Again, that's survivor.andrina.leanne. Andrina is spelled A-N-D-R-E-E-N-A. Leanne is L-E-E-A-N-N-E. From 7 p.m. West African time, Graciano and Warren will be hosting his Corona vs. Open Mic via Instagram Live. 
at Graciano M. Warham. That's spelled G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. Again, that's G-R-A-C-I-A-N-O-E-N-W-E-R-E-M. On Saturday, January 23rd, from 12 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the Poetry Passport will be hosting their Writer's Workshop with the theme of Disassociation. You can find out more information at The Poetry Passport on Instagram. Again, that's The Poetry Passport on Instagram. From 2 to 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, City of Asylum will be hosting their Between Poetry and Performance, The Language You Live In, with Takeo Rivera. You can find out more information at cityofasylum.org. Again, that's cityofasylum.org. From 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, The Root Slam will be hosting their virtual writing workshop for those over 18. You can find out more information and register at rootslam.org forward slash calendar. Again, that's rootslam.org forward slash calendar. From 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Moroccan poets will be hosting their weekly open mic via Instagram Live at Moroccan Poets. Again, that's at Moroccan Poets. On Sunday, January 24th, from 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Radio Olen will be hosting their Valley Views SFV featuring Juan Cardenas. You can find out more information at Valley Views SFV on Instagram. Again, that's Valley Views SFV on Instagram. From 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Pure Ink Poetry with our past poet guest Brandon Williamson will be hosting their video slam and you can find out more information and register at pureinkpoetry.com. Again, that's pureinkpoetry.com. And now let us welcome our poet guest of the week, Brandon Liu. Hi, Brandon. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hey there. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I'm glad you're here as well. So you brought with you your poem, Passing Through. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. So yeah, um, my name is Brandon Liu. I'm from San Jose, California, and I recently graduated with my master's in fine arts and creative writing at San Jose State University. Great. So I'm kind of fresh to the scene. Didn't you have to present some kind of portfolio to get your get into the master's program? I did. I did have to put together a thesis, actually. In my case, it was the short poetry collection right. that I made within the two years that I was in my master's. Hmm. How did you come to poetry? I came into poetry because in my undergraduate, I was an English major. Mm. To clarify, I, I wasn't a creative writing major in my undergrad. I was actually a single subject prep for teaching with a minor in professional technical writing. Okay. So I was talking to my professors, and they all thought that it would be a great idea if I just went back right in to get my master's. And I figured, why not complete the trifecta? You know, be able to write practically anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was a funny story, actually. As I was applying to the master's program, I initially I, I had applied as a fiction writer. Mm-hmm. But then I realized I had very little fiction to offer. <laughs> I, had very, I had basically no works that were properly completed. Okay. And then I thought, is there anything else? And I looked at all the poetry I've written, and I thought, maybe there's a lot there. And it turns out I had more than enough to submit for that. Mm. 
that's how I ended up becoming a poetry major and in the creative writing program for the MFA. Okay. And when did you start writing poetry? I would say that I formally started writing poetry around the time that I entered college, I want to say. Because before that, I did write like poetry here and there, like the rhyming type mm-hmm. in high school or middle school. Mm-hmm. And then as I read more, I was exposed to more stuff. I came into things like open mics and slam poetry. Mm-hmm. I think the most exposure I had was when I joined the Poets and Writers Coalition, which is the on-campus writing club at mm-hmm. San Jose State. Okay. That's where I really met my circle of poetry friends. Okay. There's nothing wrong with rhyming poetry. It's pretty difficult to do and still stay on subject. I do think that good poetry is kind of subjective. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do know that there are things that work and things that don't work in Mm -hmm. terms of what you're trying to do with a poem. Because ultimately a poem is a smattering of words and sentences and fragments of language to communicate some sort of emotion or story, Mm -hmm. which gave prose writing that we are normally accustomed to reading. That's why poetry is often considered an art form as well, because it can evoke those kinds of feelings and emotions. So I wouldn't say that it's overly difficult to write poetry. I think anyone can write a poem, you know, once they set their mind to it. But it really would depend on what kind of poem you're trying to write. You know, if you're trying to write the next epic, like Homer's Odyssey, then I would say that'd be very difficult to do. But if you're writing something just to express yourself, you know, then that can be easily done. You just write down your thoughts and then arrange them on the page how you feel like they should be arranged. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't say there's a right or wrong way to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think so either. That's why, you know, I think if people have a facility for a certain form and they like writing in that form, there's nothing wrong with it, even if in modern poetry, rhyming is less fashionable than at other times. Um, yeah, I would definitely say that sometimes there's a lot of a misconception that poetry is very formal and has to adhere to a certain form with, you know, the right number of poetic beat and meter and has to rhyme in a certain scheme. Mm-hmm. There's a time place for that, for sure. You know, there's some wonderful poems that are written in that formal sense. But more often these days, I think that free verse poetry is really catching on, especially in the sense of spoken word. Mm-hmm. That's starting to take off, I think, a lot with what with like YouTube channels like Button Poetry, and even more recent, I heard that one of the finalists in America's Got Talent is a spoken word artist. Really? My yeah. God, you're not going to turn me onto that show, are you? I mean, I, I won't force you, but I, <laughs> I you. did look up some performances that I think the contestant was named Brandon Lee. Uh, what a coincidence. His, his name is also Brandon, but it's amazing stuff, for sure. Wow. So I can see why they voted him into the finals. Okay, I'm going to have to look that up now. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, it's really encouraging, isn't it, when when poetry shows up in the you know like popular culture instead of just what seems like a hidden part of the the world that we live in. Yeah, I kind of think of it like how old things come back sometimes, like you know how record players and um, big vinyls got popular a few years ago again, right? Mm. And poetry, in that sense, is kind of doing the same thing. I mean, it's always been around. It's not like it went anywhere. But it kind of comes and goes and searches, uh, depending on what the people's 
Yeah. I think in this case, you know, we live in a very uncertain time. And having that kind of creative outlet, whether or not you're reading the poetry or you're writing it, it can really feel like a sense of release or even relief from whatever it is you're going through. Yeah, I see. That's one of the things I've been wondering about why it has. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty new in the poetry world, at least coming back to it. I've had the feeling that it's regained popularity again over the past few years, especially over the last decade. But I don't feel like I'm at the vantage point where I could see the whole field very well. I'm just seeing my corner of it. So I'm, I'm glad to get other people's input about that. And it's nice to hear you say it as well, that you also observe that and other people, other poets who have been in this longer than I have also have been in it. I think now is probably a good time for you to demonstrate your wares, as it were, and, and read us your poem, and then we can get into talking about it. Yeah, I can definitely do that. Cool. So the poem that I'm going to read is called Passing Through. Mm-hmm. If I break the wristwatch you gave my brother for his birthday, would you be mad? I might have cracked it on the road when I fell upon hard times served cold from my mother's lessons on life. There's not enough time to leave the planet to others, but I find myself still telling people to recycle. The phone line still goes to dial tone when I call to ask about my college loans. Where did the time go? You told me it really does rain in Seattle all that often, but it feels like a kick in the teeth to know that I can't wake up as early as I used to. The I voted sticker is still stuck to the wall where you put it. I've added a couple more since then. Thank you. You're welcome. When did you write this poem? I wrote this poem in my junior year of college, so my third year as an undergraduate. Okay. So it's like three years old? Yeah. Been there. Maybe four. Okay. Wow. It's hard to keep track of time, Chase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swear we're still in the beginning of the year. I know, right? <laughs> I was wondering what, what made you decide to write this particular poem? This is one of those poems where you just kind of sit down and you feel like writing out something. And then the first sentence that enters through your mind becomes the first line of the poem. Mm. Just a thought. And then you just kind of go with the flow. What is the next word that might come up once mm. you've written that and the next and the next? And it becomes a game of association, at least on my part. That's how I write these kind of poems. Right, right. I write in a sim similar way, so I can understand. There's a real sense of longing about it, and also I have to say, very fortuitous. Like it's very apropos for this time because you're talking about time first as something that was part of a material object, and then in a philosophical sense, it sounds like you didn't plan. Or to go this route, but it did, and I was wondering what you think you meant by it. The poem as a whole, or a, a particular part? The sense of time, and also longing in relations to time. Yeah, the theme of time and longing for it actually became the theme of my thesis overall. 
Mm-hmm. In fact, the title of my thesis is All Things Come to Pass. Mm. You can actually find it on Google Scholar right now. Oh, great. This poem is in the book. Great. Um, or it's not a book, it's a collection. Great. And the feeling of time slipping away, uh, I think the reason for that is because at the time I was in a place where I just felt like there was never enough time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really get that feeling of everything just crashing over you like a giant wave. <laughs> and in that sense, the poem really became something kind of relatable once you know I put it together. Mm-hmm. You know, not all poems, uh, not all of my poems anyway, end up like this where just one slow thought works out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I do have to edit it and rein things in or cut things out. Right. But in this case, this is pretty much as close to a first draft as I can say it is. Right. I just kind of sat down one day and I just felt like, you know, I need to say these things. You know, the funny thing about this is um, a little trick, actually. I might have heard from my uh, friend David Perez, who used to be one of the uh, Santa Clara Poet Laureates. Mm-hmm. And he says one of the tips is when you're writing about something, right, you focus on that topic and then you swerve into something else that is seemingly unrelated mm-hmm. and then come back to it later. Hmm. And in that kind of sense, it kind of mimics how when we talk about things, we don't always just stay on the same topic. We jump around, things like that. Uh-huh. In that sense, you know, it kind of makes it more poetic, and I think. Hmm. And that's kind of why it works, because, you know, here I'm talking about the watch, and then I suddenly jump to recycling and my college loans, of all things. Hmm. Seems like all the things that would plague someone who's uh, about to graduate. Yeah. <laughs> Those were the days. <laughs> Don't you miss them now? I kind of do, to be <laughs> honest. The working world is a little different. Mm. But, you know, you trade one stress for a different stress. Yeah, yeah. I imagine, especially as an English major, you always have so much to read, right? Mountainous amount of reading each professor probably gives. And... You probably always wonder how you're going to manage getting any of the assignments done. At least that's how I felt. Were you an English major as well? Yes. So. To any students listening to this podcast, I guess, my tip on managing a lot of reading is being efficient with what you read. Sometimes you can get the gist of something just by looking over and, you know, finding the little bits and pieces that are important. At least this goes for, like, longer things, like novels and textbooks. For poetry, it's a lot easier because most of the poems that you can be assigned will be pretty short. And sometimes length is traded in for complexity, so Mm -hmm. it can be kind of hard to understand. But it really depends. There are all sorts of poems. Some of them are very simple, and others are, you know, very abstract. Right. And there are some that are just massive. They <laughs> take up several pages. Yeah. Those are usually the ones I have trouble on, on when trying to get everything together. Yeah. Especially if they're uh, all pretty much dense. But yeah, um, poetry is pretty easy to read for the most part. You know, it's one of those things where you just kind of stumble upon it and then you can't really explain why it attracted you in the first place until you really sat down and gotten to know that poem. I think for people who read 
especially when you're in a college setting and when you're trying to get through mountains, amounts of assignments, poetry makes you feel accomplished because you can go through several of them yeah. <laughs> in a much shorter setting. And then, yeah, essays. Yeah, it's kind of like the equivalent of when maybe you're like a sixth grader and you end up reading all these like short chapter books. You know, you tell your parents, hey, look how many things I've read. It's like, wow. You know, <laughs> even though they're, they're not that hard to read, but it, it, it looks impressive for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I think that sense of accomplishment actually encourages people silently to read more because somehow we do manage, we do get impressed by the amount of reading we do, whether or not we necessarily understand the content we're reading, because poetry, as you said, can be very complex. And, you know, you might really, in order to deeply understand a piece of poem, even if it's like 10 lines, let's say, you might have to sit with it for hours on end, writing a thesis on it, for instance, to get everything yeah. out of it. At the same time, just like in terms of just going through the amount of words, it definitely feels, you do feel that sense of accomplishment, as I said. I, I have to say, I'm one of those people who really love reading slowly, and partly because I just don't read fast, <laughs> and um, partly because I feel like I miss on the details, and I do feel like God or the devil is in the details, however you prefer that saying. Um, so it always bothered me to have just so much assignment from each professor as if it, I hate it when each professor acted like they're the only, their class is the only one we were taking. Yeah, <laughs> I still find that to be a problem these days as well. Mm -hmm. uh, when I talk to people I know who are still in college. Mm-hmm. They can feel a little swamped with work, especially in this virtual environment as well, where it's even harder to gauge how much work each student is going through. Yeah, and, and because we're all going through this invisible stress, right? Even if we're not actually sick with the virus, the fact that we don't know what's going to happen, that so much of our world is being affected, I, I think... Sometimes we're underestimating the amount of stress that we are actually under until we hit some kind of wall that's, that can be deeply felt, like an emotional moment or something. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that, that's harder to gauge as well, the psychological aspect of it. But going back to your poem, though, and to better times three years ago, who knew? Wait, it, Better is if I have the beholder. Yeah, well, from my perspective, it was definitely better than now, even though it was still pretty crappy. We just didn't think how crappy it was going to get. That's how I feel about it. Like a sliding scale. <laughs> it's more like dropping off of a cliff at this point, I think. Yeah, you know, you, you didn't realize the end of the scale would be a cliff until you got there. <laughs> so I would love to get an idea, I'm sure the listeners as well, of the you that you address in this poem, whether or not this is an actual person or a composite of different people, or just a sort of universal sense of you. 
I have a friend actually who currently works in Seattle. I've known him for a long time. And so this was actually was kind of addressed to him. I was thinking I had him in my mind when I was writing it. Mm-hmm. Because right now I would say he's very successful. Mm-hmm. And I know that he when we talk, he tells me about all the things he's been through. And I think to myself, you know, that's that's a lot to take in sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't help but measure that up against your own life, how your own life is going. You know? Mm. It's kind of a natural thing to do for a lot of people. Yeah, we can't help it, even if the underlying conditions are totally different. So with that in mind, trying to compare yourself with someone who seems to be much more successful leaves you thinking, where's your life going? Are you getting everything you want to get done? You know, are there any lingering regrets that you want to address? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so you can't help but look at your own flaws when you see someone who's know you think is better than you in a lot of ways that's not to say you know it's always a bad thing sometimes we use that as motivation to improve ourselves but in the case of this poem it's just trying to get trying to get it off your chest in a way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like it's it's about moving on that's why it's called passing through mm. hence the ending of this poem is the way it is yeah i'm wondering have you showed him this poem or share it with him i have he mm. said it was cool He's not really, like, a big poetry guy. Okay. Did he know that it was about him? Yeah, I told him. Okay. So no no big discussion? No. We've known each other for a long time, so. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've interviewed people, poets, who write about people in their lives that they haven't shared those, or whatever they're writing with. Though they are saying things that they obviously want to say to them, but. Um, yeah. Some poems are a lot harder to write, for sure. Especially if it's something that you don't really want to tell someone else. It's like a very personal, deep feeling. You know? <laughs> yeah. A lot of poetry actually can be this way, where you know you leave your heart and soul on the page, but you wouldn't dare show anyone, you know, because it can be a very fragile thing. Yeah. You know, I guess that's really the basis of a lot of poetry that I read. Just the human emotion. And like life experience that you put into your words, mm-hmm. and I think that's really where a lot of amazing poetry comes from—just people bearing out their lives for others to read. And that's why I find the poetry can be very, very inspiring and very heartfelt. Or it's like a big connection to someone else through their words, in a way that prose doesn't always get across. Yeah, I feel like in prose. By being so clear seeming, because everything is in sentences and they're supposed to make logical sense, syntactical sense, they can bury certain uh, emotions deeper. It's sort of like when we're having conversation, we're talking about the weather, but really we are hiding something else that we want to say but can't get out there. Yeah, I mean, I would say that. They're all different art forms, so there's different nuances to them as well. You know, mm. a novel can just as easily create the same kind of cathartic effect that a poem might have if done very well. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we have these weird hybrids called prose poetry, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a paragraph, reads like a poem. Right. I don't know why the way you phrased that made me think of Ali. How so? 
oh, I see, float like a butterfly's thing, like a beat. Yeah. It has the same amount of beats in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very musical. Yes. You can have that one. I'll let you have it. Reads like a paragraph. Uh, or it looks like a paragraph, reads like a poem. That's nice. It has a nice flow to it. I like that. Yeah. So this is really describing a part of your life where you're looking at your friend who's at a different stage where you might want to be not necessarily in the exact details, but the amount of success, maybe the amount of recognition. Whereas you're dealing with sort of the everydays of college living. I would say that it doesn't come from a place of jealousy or anything like that. Like I don't covet his success or I want to be particularly in his shoes. It just it's like a reminder that we each of us has a long way to go to where we want to be in life. And I think it's important to remember that each of us takes it at our own pace, one thing at a time. It can be kind of a reminder, like a wake-up call, that, you know, you got to keep working. You got to keep pushing, you know. But, you know, the more you try to do that, sometimes you get tired. You tire yourself out of the process. Mm -hmm. That's why I think that moving on one little thing at a time no matter how much it seems to all fall apart, you know, it's still going to end up okay somehow. I don't feel like there's any jealousy so much as longing in the tone of your poem and not longing for his success because I don't feel like his success really comes out in this poem. Yeah. But just a um, sense of losing someone. I guess it really does, you know, show... I don't know, longing seems to be a thread that I have in a lot of my poetry. This is simple because I guess that's my mode of writing mm -hmm. a lot of the time. I guess I was really missing him. He was on my mind mm -hmm. when I wrote this. And just, you know, we long for a lot of different things. We long for times past when they were simpler. We long for people we haven't seen. No wonder it's, this poem feels kind of appropriate in this current time. Yeah, you know? definitely. I guess it's just, how do I live my life so that next time I face them, it'll be okay? Mm. I also find it interesting after you know you discussing these finer details in your poem and also the background that inspired it, when you say, you told me it really does rain in Seattle all that often, but it feels like a kick in the teeth to know that. There is a sense of like identification on your part or on the narrator's part with the you in this poem. And that sense of empathy for anybody else, you wonder why, why would somebody else's reign make you feel a sense of kind of let down? So I wonder how you feel about that after writing it and reading it? I do find it interesting where you stop the line, actually. Because the way I the way I cut it, actually, in my head, it's, you told me it really does rain in Seattle all that often. Then, But it feels like the teeth to know that I can't wake up as early as I used to. Mm. So I find it interesting that you said, you told me it really does rain in Seattle all that often, but it feels like a kick in the teeth to know that. Well, it's a little poetry trick with like the line break there. Mm -hmm. So ambiguity of which one it refers to is very cool in that sense that it can mean either one. Right. But going back to what you were saying, rain in Seattle, it can be kind of moody and depressing to have rain all the time. 
and but then you look at it from the other perspective from places that where it never rains right mm-hmm. coming from a place where it doesn't rain to a place where it rains pretty often it can mean a lot of different things i think mm-hmm. i don't think i had anything particular in mind when i wrote that i just thought it was kind of a thing that happened you know he just kind of says it right you know you ask someone oh you're in seattle now does it really rain all that much in Seattle? Because, you know, you hear, you, I hear the stories that, oh, it rained a lot in Seattle. Right. And, you know, he, he tells me, yeah, it does. I think, cool. <laughs> and, then you segue, and then you segue to this other thing. It says, it feels like a kick in the teeth to know that I can't wake up as early as I used to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not too juxtaposed images there. Yeah, yeah. Your poem is done with initial caps and, and left flushed. So the... Punctuation serves to break the thoughts. Obviously, I didn't finish reading the, I guess, what it might be a sentence because there's no, there's no comma necessary. But at the same time, because there's no comma, there's no signposts of where people should stop. Um, and I guess I think I was just going along with the sentimentality of the feeling that the rest of the poem gave me. Yeah. I learned this little trick from reading some other poets, like Robert Creeley, Jane Hirschfield, Ocean Vuong, mm-hmm. where depending on how many, or in this case, lack of end stops or just hard pauses like Sejuras, you can have the line breaks themselves function that way instead. Mm-hmm. So that way... You know, it creates the ambiguity of whether you read straight across or you pause at each line break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that, in that sense, it is purposeful, what I did there. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Did you do that on purpose during the editing? or? I mean, I did say that a lot of this really did make it through. The only parts I think I edited were some weird little things. Like, I think in the first draft, it actually said, fell upon... Hard times are pulled, furnished from my mother's lessons on life. Uh, basically, like, reference to Hamlet or whatever. And then I realized that that's kind of too much, so I took it out. Otherwise, yeah, I just avoided using a lot of pauses with commas and things like that. Because mm-hmm. I just wanted to just kind of be one big flow. Right, right. You know, you flow from one thought to the other. Right. Yeah, and it, does, it makes such a difference between the way you intended and, and the way I read it, because the way you wrote it, it was just two thoughts next to each other. Um, you know, I invite multiple interpretations, you know, however you see it through the lens of your own life. Yeah, you kind of have to, right? Because once you let it go out there, people are just going to read it however they read it. Not everybody has the opportunity to drag you along into a conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we get into these talks sometimes with other people about authorial intent. You know, how did the author intend to have it read? You know, what did they mean here? You know, and they want that to be the be-all, end-all of it. Sometimes, you know, authors will clarify if there's something that really needs to be addressed. But most of the time, I think they leave it to people's imaginations about what something is about. Yeah, and also it depends on the author author's personality right because some authors are writing purely for themselves as 
to express themselves and not necessarily thinking about the reader. And so however the reader read it, they don't care. There are some authors who write with the readers in mind, but definitely not all authors. But since you mentioned this line, which did catch my attention when I read it and when, also when you read it as well, I might have cracked it on the road when I felt upon hard times served cold from my mother's lessons on life. You had said that it's sort of an oblique, oblique reference to Hamlet. Is that is that right? Did I hear that right? It was. I just wanted to try and play on words at the time because that's how where my mind was going. Mm-hmm. As if, you know, um, well, I, I don't remember the quote off the top of my head right now, but it's like revenge, you know, fur- furnish the offering table or something like that. It's kind of like, or the meaning of it was that in Hamlet, the, the table that had, you know, offerings for the funeral were then pushed aside and then served as the wedding. Right. But um, that's why I kind of took it out because I realized that it had little to do with what I was talking about and just kind of detracted from it. Mm, mm. Well, also, I feel like a lot of the poem sounds very personal, you know, especially this particular line, because you didn't have to bring your mom into it, but you did. Obviously, no, it, people had no access to you. Nobody would know whether or not this is your mother or just mothers in general or the Hamlet reference, but also hidden. The hidden meaning is still your mother. So... Tell us, is it your mother? It is. Okay. You know, mom always has really good things to say. <laughs> That's, well, it's the case for me anyway. She's rarely ever wrong, unless she is. <laughs> um, so, to address, you know, the feeling that you get of why it feels so personal, it's probably because... What you see is pretty much what you get. Like mm-hmm. I haven't exaggerated or extra- I made anything abstract. Mm-hmm. So when I say, when I, I mean it's just sincerely. If I break the wristwatch you gave my brother for his birthday, would you be mad? That's a, a bit of a strange sentence when you think about it, because it's the wristwatch that my friend gave my brother. Mm-hmm. In reality, I wear, I actually wear that wristwatch more than he does, because I ended up borrowing it, mm-hmm. and then I just ended up wearing it all the time. Then one day I, I accidentally the tumble mm-hmm. and uh i was really afraid the wristwatch would crack but it's perfectly fine mm-hmm. and so everything else too you know stuff about recycling stuff about college loans like believe it or not i re- it really did go to dial telling when i was like calling to see if i could pay out my college loans <laughs> you would think that they would pick up if, if people are trying to pay for their loans you know everybody's cutting costs so they figure, you know, probably probably a computerized system will take care of you. Uh, robocallers. Yeah, yeah. I actually write in a very similar style. And I tell you something in the line most, more often than not, especially in the beginning of, po- of a poem, I literally was doing that. <laughs> At the same time, when it's part of a poem the feeling you get is not necessarily just the individual actions, but rather what those feelings give you, which again goes back to the sense of longing. There's a feeling of wanting approval. And not just from the you character, but mainly from the you character. 
um, other people as well, the mother, the college loan people. Uh, yeah. I think the part where you're kind of rebelling in some ways is the telling people to recycle thing. So I, I thought it was really interesting. And it actually, I wasn't sure who you were talking to because obviously at the time of my choosing my poem, I did not have the benefit of talking with you about your poem. So in, in a sense, it felt as if maybe you were talking to somebody who's either your father or a father figure in your life. Father you? Yeah. to me is someone in particular but in reality when you read it it could be anyone you know you fill in the blank otherwise you know i would have been specific right right and and it goes back again to this idea of writing something very personal in stylistic form that in some ways obscures the intent of the poet and that in itself is kind of the art of poetry I'd actually say not always, actually. Sometimes a poet's intention is to be as clear as day as possible. And other times poets want to be, you know, as abstract. You know, we call this scale, the sliding scale between opacity and transparency. Mm -hmm. In this case, um, the mode of which I'm writing is very transparent. You know, you can, or it's, it's actually more near the middle, isn't it? Like, it's very transparent in what it wants to say, but it's obscure in the sense that you can't nail down exactly what they might be talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, it works for this poem because in that sense, like I said, it makes it more relatable. Not yeah. that that was my intention in the beginning of writing this. I do find it funny though, how when you write something personal, it can still end up being very open to everyone's interpretation. Yes, yes. Because, you know, everybody has a slight definition of like the context. Even if they're not living your experience or living what you're describing as your experience. So it's, it's really interesting. So I also mentioned that because I wrote a poem, based, not based off of your poem, but it kind of made me think of a person in my life and I wrote a poem about that person. So I'm going to read that now. Yeah, go ahead. And it was called? Scant. You are so angry, no recall of what set you off. Something about the world owing you, though you pilfered, gave on stingy strings. The word processor, I hate it. That little window with the scrolling text, never showing the whole picture. As few as there were, the takeaway has been brevity makes for sweetness. It's a really interesting poem, in my opinion. How so? Because of the images that you select and the way that you portray them on the page. Just like my poem, you have a you in this poem as well. And so it means you're addressing someone. Uh, in this case, it's definitely a feeling of, it's almost animosity, but not quite. Mm. Like the feeling of you're angry, but also sad. Mm. And there's some interesting things like stingy strings, pilfered word processor, you know, those things that don't exactly, I want to say roll off the tongue, and like, in the same way that 
the mind associates things with each other. And so I, I appreciated that. that I, it made me have to stop and think about it for a second. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure what, I mean, I understand little window with scrolling text, but I had to think about what, a, what word processor you were referencing. Hmm. Can you elaborate that on a little bit? Like what kind of word processor? Yeah. So before desktops became the rage, there were word processors that were somewhere between an old-fashioned typewriter and a almost like um, the phones before smartphones are kind of like a smartphone in some way, much bigger. So it's, I mean, think of a smartphone. I mean, I'm young, but not that young. I'm, I know what old flip phones and uh, Nokias are, and I, I have used a typewriter before. Okay. So. Well, that's why I was wondering what you meant by explaining the word process. <laughs> so. uh, it's because it's a general term. Like I said, you didn't choose a specific image like a typewriter or a text message or anything like that he used word processor which i thought was interesting because mm. it's not something i hear often so to see it show up in a poem is surprising to me yeah, uh, I, yeah and i got more context as i read because then it says that little window with the scrolling text never showing the whole picture so then i you know it became apparent you're talking about something on a screen yeah as far as I know, that was a generic name for what it is, the type of machine. The predecessor to a, to a desktop was a word processor, basically a computerized typewriter. I would say that the word processor these days refers to the application on the desktop that writes the thing, for example, Microsoft Word or Google Documents, whereas the desktop itself would refer to the machine on which it runs, which can be used for multiple things, which includes word processing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess that's where my confusion kind of came from. Um, not so much confusion, but rather the intrigue of what word processor you meant. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a throwback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for those who get it, you know, they get it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Now you're making me curious. I'm just going to Google word processor and see what comes up. Yeah, while you do that, uh, I do want to talk about the last three lines, actually. Sure. And the way that the, the sentence flows. Mm-hmm. Because, how does it go? As few as there were, the takeaway has been brevity makes for sweetness. The first time I read this, I actually got tripped up on it. Mm-hmm. Because I read it as never showing the whole picture, as few as there were, the takeaway has been, or rather, as few as there were, the takeaway has been. That's why I, I wasn't sure where the noun and the verb was in terms of their relation to each other. So when I got to brevity makes for sweetness, it almost felt like it was a fragment um, by itself. Uh, but the way you read it clarified the sentence structure for me. Mm-hmm. So now I read it as, as few as there were, the takeaway has been, Brevity makes for sweetness. So the takeaway, or the lesson here, is that short and sweet, uh, as few as there were. I guess I'm still puzzled, puzzled as to what there was few of. I'm starting to write, I guess I've been doing it for a little bit now, not to have any punctuation, as little as possible. Yeah. And so, again, it's something that you know, I'm comfortable with 
the reader reading it however they choose to read it. In terms of my own intent, it follows the description of the word processor, the machine itself, which only shows you a few lines of text. Even with smartphones, no matter how big the screen, you only see a part of the picture. And so part of it is talking about only seeing part of what's going on, just as this poem shows you only part of what's going on. It's one perspective. I see. And also from another uh, aspect, from other intent, is to show that there weren't that many interactions. And the interactions, the reason why there is a highlight on this particular interaction and to also comment on it as as few as there were, the takeaway has been brevity makes for sweetness, is that every interaction pretty much soured the longer the interaction has been. So th those are some of the different directions from which I was coming from in arriving to those lines. Though he pilfered, gave on stingy strings. Pilfered, I think, can refer to scavenging, right? Stealing. Yeah, stealing. And stingy strings, I wonder what that can refer to. Well, I was trying to kind of invoke the idea of people giving with strings attached. Ah, I see. And in the first place, not giving that much to begin with. Mm -hmm. I am curious. Um, but I won't make you say it about who the you is in this poem. But as I was trying try to say before, um, the reason why I wrote this poem is because I thought what you were writing about was a father figure. So I was writing about a father figure as well. Okay. Makes me think, that's all, about you know the kind of relationship you have currently with whoever this is, if you're writing about a particular person, which I think you just said you are, um, from what I understand. I uh, don't want to make too many assumptions. So I can see it's a very complicated relationship. Despite this poem being so small, it has a lot packed into it. Yeah. I, I think it's, in a way, similar to your poem, because your poem is quite short as well. Um, and it describes certain actions. But as I said to some other person I interviewed, out of all the things in the world, why do you decide to concentrate on those images? Those string of images. Why does your mind decide to go take that walk? Why do you decide to put that on paper uh, and put them together? And so, and I, I think that's, that's what's interesting in the act of interpretation, um, interpreting someone's poems. Yeah. I would definitely say here, whatever your intention was, what, how it works out on the page is that it talks about something being obscured, and the poem itself obscures a lot of what's going on. Mm. You know, that's what, hence the reason why you can't see all of it. Um, you can only see some of the whole narrative. Mm -hmm. It almost makes me think that, you know, there might be a part two to this somewhere. <laughs> like, if you were to make a longer collection and include this, you know, as part of the overall theme or narrative, I think it would be appropriate. That's just my thought on it. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, give, give the context. Yeah, I, I think that 
I, I can definitely understand why people would want the context. But part of the dissatisfaction of my own experience is that there isn't much context. So, I mean, I do, I do have other poems about this person. They give a, another example or other examples of these sort of short interactions. I don't know if they enlighten anymore, but of course, I think if I give them to the reader, then they can draw their own conclusions. Mm-hmm. I'm so really caught up on how the interesting way the syntax works in relation to the lack of punctuation. Mm-hmm. The first stanza in particular works really well because of the way that each line is set up, that beginning word alerts you that this is a new piece of syntax. You know, you were so angry, no recall what set you off. Something about the world, owing you, though you pilfered, gave on stingy strings. It already lends itself to that stop, letting you know that as, you know, like you said, signposts, that you can't just read it through. You have to stop. Mm-hmm. The second stanza flows a little more because of the fact that you use a much longer sentence here. Mm-hmm. The word processor, I hated that little window with the scrolling text never showing the whole picture. Now that I think about it, it's actually not a sentence at all. It's actually a fragment. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly fine because in poetry, you know, we manipulate the language to express what we want to say. Mm-hmm. In which case, it kind of works out because, once again, that fragment helps to obscure what it is that is trying to be said. <laughs> in which case, what is being said is being or is tr- attempting to obscure itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in which case, I would say it's a very personal but well hidden poem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if I can enlighten people anymore, as I said, even with other pieces, because there is so little interaction. So Sometimes you can make a lot out of nothing, in my experience. It really yeah. depends on how you interpret that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, again, it goes back to the comfort level of the poet as well, is like, how much do you want to disclose and how much do you want it to be up for interpretation is the poem itself the act of writing the poem itself the aim or having it read and understood the aim and I think for different poets and also at different times for the same poet a poem or a piece of work will serve different purposes you know it comes back to why do we write poetry right some mm-hmm. people do it for, uh, you know, personal reasons. Others do it because they want to make, you know, a big difference in the world with their words. Mm. And I think all of them are respectable purposes for writing. Yeah, um, yeah. As I mentioned before, depending on the time in your life as well, we don't necessarily have the same aims in life. Even if we're doing the same thing, sometimes... Our priorities can change. Sometimes something as humongous as this t- pandemic comes along and shifts your priorities and shifts your focus on what you write about and what you choose to think about and reflect over. And also, you know, having the stimuli of other people's poems to respond to also <laughs> changes 
your aim in terms of why you write? Mm-hmm. You know, what you said makes me think of a topic that, you know, I've been thinking about a lot. And just that's it's the aspect of writing what's personal, but treading that fine line between disclosing too much information and giving just enough to really put your voice out there. Mm-hmm. And this is mostly a, an issue for poets that write deeply personal things. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact, uh, at least in my background, there are some things I write that I think to myself, I don't know if this is okay to put out or not, at least not without some or a lot of editing sometimes. Because mm-hmm. sometimes you can say something that you regret, you know? Mm-hmm. Because you're not sure if you really meant it that way or not. That's why it's important to pause and look over your poetry or your writing and see, you know, what it is exactly you mean to say. That's why I do think editing is pretty important sometimes. Mm, yeah. Or even all the time, really. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, actually. I think editing is very important. Um, mm-hmm. And also giving yourself enough time to distance emotionally from a piece of writing, especially one that on first reading you might, or on first writing you might have loved. I would say just leave that alone for quite a bit and then come back to it. I've I've made that mistake before where I write something in the moment and think, man, this is really, really amazing. And then I put it up for a workshop, right, for class. Mm -hmm. Then I get all this feedback of why it's not working. You know, mm. and I realized I may have jumped the gun mm. because I didn't take the time to understand what it is that I'm doing because the intent is not always going to equate to what the impact will be. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's why it's important to mind what we say and things like that. I'm not saying self-censorship is a must. I'm saying that it's important to sit on your words, mm. and, you know, really get to know them. Mm-hmm. Because you never know, you know, when, you know, ambiguity is good sometimes, but at the same time, it's good to also express yourself in the way that you want to express yourself. Because it's not just a matter of being misunderstood by your audience, it's also a matter of, you know, wanting to write the poem that you want to write. And sometimes the poem that you initially wrote isn't exactly what you actually want to say. You know, you might have meant something else entirely, and it just took process of writing this first poem to get to the next one yeah yeah and again i i go back to the idea that depend it depends on the poet and it depends on the time on in the poet's life the focus of the poet and sometimes yeah. they don't care or we don't care whether or not somebody will misinterpret it and the writing in itself is the aim and not necessarily the need to have someone else read it or the need for someone else to understand it exactly as we understand it. I mean, for, for me personally, to have someone else understand something that I write exactly as I wrote it is one of those things that takes a lot more control than I want to spend my energy on. That's understandable. Yeah. It's not to say I wouldn't edit. They do go hand in hand. And, and it, again, it depends on the piece. So Yeah. You know, we, we all write poetry for our own reasons. You know? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. We, just want to put, we just want to put our feelings out there because we can't 
say them vocally sometimes or things like that. And we don't mean to have those things read by other people. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Sometimes you have some very strong feelings about people you care about, but not, you know, you don't have the words for them in that moment. So instead you go to the page and see what comes out. And mm-hmm. you don't always intend for those to be seen by other people. Yeah. And and that's there's you know, there's that's that. Fine. Definitely. And I think there's also moments where you just have no chance to say that to the person. It, yeah. It's, I think it's it's wonderful movie ideal <laughs> where, you know, two people actually have a conversation. Even what we're doing here, it's kind of an idealized and very, very intentional, right? To actually have a conversation about our poems, but in a relationship, in whatever relationship. We don't yeah. necessarily get that chance for whatever reason. And yeah, well, things happen, right? Yeah. Some thoughts I have are that, you know, the first poet that comes to mind about being personal, but at the same time, never ever shared, is actually Emily Dickinson, right? Mm. Where, you know, all of her poems were published posthumously. She wrote those for herself. She, was, she didn't intend on showing anyone. You know, she said that to her sister, burn them all after I'm gone. Mm. So that's that. I will say though that if you write poems for yourself and you know you keep those with you, you know just as you know it's writing poetry is more of an exercise to, of expression rather than of communication. You know that's fine. I, I I wholeheartedly you know encourage that kind of thing because it can be a very therapeutic process. In terms of like writing even better and better poetry, I would definitely say you know two things. Collaboration can only make poetry better because it helps to be outside of your own head. Mm. And the other thing is you talk about different points in your life when you write poetry. It can be different. Mm-hmm. That's why actually why I say sometimes you have to go through some things before you can really write the poem that you really wanted to write in the first place. You know, you write something at this point in time because you were feeling something, and then you go through a bunch of life and forget about it. And you come back. Some, you know, this is fair sometimes. Some people never go back to their old poems and they just kind of discard them. But sometimes you really get that feeling, and you go back and read them, and you realize, oh, this is actually what I wanted to say at that time. But sometimes your, you know, your judgment is clouded because of the moment and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it really depends on what you want to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I, I am a proponent of, you know, for people who want to show their poetry want to share their poetry definitely I I always think another pair of eyes gives you some clarity that you do not have because there is you can't really divorce yourself from your emotions completely it it just is so I definitely I definitely agree with that Um, you know there's even this kind of thought that you know you can't really write the poetry you want to write or even express yourself properly if you don't read the poetry that you want to, that appeals to you that you want to read, you know? That's why I think it's important to read a lot of poetry if you want to write poetry, too. Mm, yeah. That's why, I think that's why a lot of people kind of shy away from poetry. They say, I'm not good at it, or I don't really get it, because they just think that, you know, their skills aren't up to snuff, or they, you know, they just can't quite wrap their head around what exactly it is they're reading. And it can be an acquired skill for some people, you know, to really pick a poetry. You know, it's, it's hit or miss sometimes. Some people don't like poetry, and others really get into it. The 
the ones that naturally lend themselves to it are usually the ones that read the most. But I think for anyone who is really interested, just absorbing content, you know, reading what other people are doing, how other people do things, will unconsciously register itself to your mind. And then when you write it out, you'll find your voice through that. At least that's my opinion on it. You know, I had to read a lot to really find my style. Yeah, I, th- I think there there's definitely a lot of benefit to just reading in general, right? reading widely, especially. Because uh, the fact is, there is a mainstream where we're presented with certain styles, either of fashion of the moment, or something that's considered classics that must reads because so many writers reference them, whether stylistically or in content. At the same time, I also feel like it's very important sometimes for people to just not be put off by the poems that they come across that they do not resonate with, because poetry is is such a wide field. is much is a much wider field than people who come through poetry. Let's say only through reading the classics, for instance then you would think, you know, if you only read Shakespeare in your life, then you think that's the only form that poetry can take. And anything outside of that is not poetry. And and I think for people who think that, A, I, I think it's, it's a sad thought to think that literature has not changed over these many years. And also to, also to think somehow that even contemporary to Shakespeare, there wasn't literature from anywhere else in the world that took other forms and sounded in ways that might be completely different yet still are just as valid to be given the name of poetry. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on a lot of that because you know sometimes people really do get stuck in fishbowls because they don't expose themselves more to different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you say, poetry is a very wide category of different things with many subcategories included. And once you really find out about all this other stuff, you know, it really blows everything out of the water of what you knew. Mm-hmm. And like you say, contemporary writing from, you know, of in relation to the classics, like Shakespeare, like Homer, or whatever, there's plenty of other things, you know. Sappho, the, the female Greek poet, mm-hmm. I believe, um, check, um, you know, check your back on that one, but yes. the point is, you know, she was the female poet who went under the radar until people rediscovered her, mm-hmm. and, you know, we never would have known that had we not explored more, right? Right. I don't knock the classics. They're the classics for a reason. They're, they actually are really good most of the time, but, you know, to expose yourself to more experiences by other people, to see what people are writing about, you know, like you say, sometimes you might not like something, but you should still read it anyway, and because you never know what you might get out of it. Maybe you find out that it doesn't resonate with you, but this person did something very interesting that I want to try. Maybe mm. you find out something, you know, horrifying, like, a, a, like an awful truth, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, your knowledge is widened. You're enlightened to something new, and you become aware of what's going on in the world. Yeah. Um, and I just having that awareness, keeping an open mind, is what can lead to, you know, a really well-rounded life. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree with that. I think um, 
just reading different styles can help you also besides finding your own style to help your stress your mind in terms of how other people can feel about the same topic you know coming from a different perspective in any case thank you so much for taking your time to talk with me today about your poem and our poems definitely i really appreciate it you know yeah i like to try different things yeah that's poetry or in this case a podcast never done one of these before cool awesome I'm, i'm very glad that i got to be your first podcast so before I let you go, I would love for you to tell us, A, if you have any favorite open mics, virtual open mics, we're being safe here, uh, that you would recommend. And B, if you can tell us where people can find you, follow you, social media, website, whatnot. Mm-hmm. In terms of open mics and the poetry scene, at least where I am, you can check out Poetry Center San Jose for different events related to poetry mm-hmm. because they're always doing something and they always have events planned, and they are very wonderful people who Great. run that. Great. And I appreciate all the work they do to keep poetry in San Jose, to spread awareness that poetry events are happening. Mm-hmm. And you can find them on Facebook, you can find them on their website. We in San Jose accept everyone in the world to okay. come and you know, see what's up here, which is the beauty of this whole virtual process. Yes, absolutely. As for B, where to find me, I recently made a Twitter called Blue Poet. That's B-L-U-U-P-O-E-T. Okay, great. Well, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate this. Oh, you're welcome. As always, you can find us at poetsandmuses.com as well as under Poets and Muses on Instagram or Twitter. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.